What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Bearded Wholesome and All Things Baltimore. This is Season 3, Episode 18. I'm the host, Matt Trigger. With me today is fellow Mount St. Joe alum, pro-Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist, pro-wrestler for Maryland Championship Wrestling, Tim Mushmaster Spriggs. How you doing, man? I am doing fantastic. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm doing good, man. It's good to get you on the show. A fellow Mount St. Joe alum, shout out to Mount St. Joe High School over in West Baltimore. Uh, Tim is class of 2008. I'm the class of 2007. So we walked the same halls for about three years together. Um, you know, we kind of chatted a little bit off off air. And uh, I told you, look back at our yearbooks and I, and I had a refresher of the baby face, clean cut, dapper young <laughs> Tim back in the day. And, uh, now here you are, man. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're rugged, rough, and you're in the world of mixed martial arts and pro wrestling. So, uh, how's that going for you, man? It's going fantastic. My, both my career paths have gone better than I could have ever imagined. When I was doing jujitsu back in 2006, when I was still in high school, I never imagined that I would be the best in the world at one time. I would have never thought that I would be one of the fastest, no, the fastest rising star in professional wrestling when I decided to start training. So all in all, all my dreams are coming true and I'm making big waves and the waves are only going to keep getting bigger and so are the checks and the belts. Yeah, man, you're starting to you're starting to collect the belts, man. You know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, on social media, it seems like you got a different one every every few months. Uh, kind of take it back to high school a little bit, man. Um, why Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Out of all the mixed martial arts that you could possibly learn, what drew you to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? What drew me to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was the first Ultimate Fighter. Around that time, I was watching the Ultimate Fighter, or I was watching the UFC, and the Ultimate Fighter reality show just so happened to come out around that time. And everyone was aware of and had to defend against and was afraid of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I figured that I need to learn this because at the time, as a young man, I realized that I need to learn how to defend myself in hand-to-hand -hand combat. And I chose Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I was lucky because I went to Google and I found the closest school near me, and it just so happened to be Crazy 88 in Elkridge, Maryland. I go there, and I haven't left since. That's where I started from white belt all the way to black belt. And they took me from not knowing anything, being a scrawny teenager, to being the best grappler in the world. And you hit your black belt in 14, I believe? Yes, 2014. Oh. I, I did I did my research, you know. So, you mm -hmm. know, I wanted to make sure I was prepared, man. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, when you started with the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, did it ever cross your mind to add to your repertoire and uh, try Greco-Roman wrestling from high school? No, I I was a football guy. I liked football, and that was the only sport that I was really into. You know, I watched hockey, I watched basketball, but. Once I realized that football wasn't in the cards, I just fully into the martial arts. When I was real little, I did karate. And when I was in high school, I started to dabble back into karate. 
But then once I started to learn jujitsu, it was all jujitsu. And ironically, I started learning wrestling over the course of my grappling career. That's that's interesting, man, because, you know, if hindsight was 2020, mm-hmm. you would have most likely added to the lore that is Mount St. Joe wrestling, you know, being as though they're one of the best programs in the country. Now, do Absolutely. you ever do you ever look back and think like, oh, man, I should have did that? I sometimes wonder what it would be like, but I'm not exactly sure that my life would have taken the path that it did. If I had been fully into wrestling, I don't think I was mature enough to make the sacrifices at the time to be a star in wrestling. And I don't think I was really into it like I was in jujitsu. When I started doing jujitsu, that's when I started maturing as a man. You know, you first go in there, you're not in there with children, which, you know, high schoolers are in hindsight. You're with their, you're with grown men every day in a jujitsu gym. And I was the only teenager and I was fighting for my life every day. And that taught me the things that I needed to do to become great at something. That's completely understandable. And, and nothing, you know, kind of prepares you for the real world like being in a room full of adults that are there in a combat environment. And it's Mm -hmm. also a learning environment, you know, essentially. So it's not like it's a completely foreign concept that once you get to the, to the adult world, Um, what was it like in the beginning for you though? How, how did it make you feel that you were the only teenager in the so-called atmosphere of uh, the, the gym that you went to? It felt like I was in a secret society. <laughs> I felt like I was in a fight club. It, I felt like I was in on the secret and no one else really knew. And martial arts, mixed martial arts, was still in its infancy popularity rise back in 2006. And it was exciting. It, it was, I wasn't scared. I was just determined to be the best martial artist that I could be. I wanted to learn this strange new art form that I was learning and I was willing to sacrifice everything. You know, I sacrificed my time. Um, A lot of time I could have spent being a normal high school kid. I spent on the mats and, you know, just pushing myself. I remember previously I was not willing to push my body to the limit. But then being in that room, being at the level of guys that I was in there with, it forced me and it drove me to push myself to the limit. And I wanted to be the best in the room. That's admirable. You know, I, it's, it's, it's a different perspective when you hear, you know, straight from the person that had to go through it. And I'm sure that you sacrificed a lot as a teenager in your high school years where most kids our age in the high school, we went to the same place, man. It was, it was girls, it was partying, it was mm-hmm. sports. And here you are on a Friday night at six 30, you're rolling around on a mat in a gym with a bunch of adults when you could be at one of the numerous parties that kids in our school were throwing or going on trips and that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what drew you to making it a full-time career? Uh, I mean, cause like you said, 2006, the, it wasn't really there money wise and the popularity wasn't quite at its height yet. So mm-hmm. 
I'm I'm assuming it was humble beginnings. What what made you want to stick with it and keep on going to the tournaments and be in the gym, you know, X amount of months a year? Because I know mixed martial arts, there's no off season. Yeah, well, you know, mixed martial arts wasn't making money and Brazilian jiu-jitsu definitely wasn't. I would say what made me want to pursue it full time was I didn't have anything else that I really wanted to give 110% to in life. I had no other real interests. Before jujitsu, I had an idea of what my life was going to be. But once I started training, once I started competing, I had a totally different life path that I wanted at the time. It's kind of crazy when you think about when you're 16, 17, 18 years old, that you're expected to make this these important life decisions of what you're going to do. Um, it just so happened that I chose jujitsu. Although I still went to college, I went to St. John's University, I graduated in four years. My mindset was that as soon as I graduate, I'm going back to Maryland, back to Crazy 88 to train full time because I loved it. I knew that I was not most likely going to be a millionaire or a billionaire doing jujitsu. But I did know that I would have a fulfilled existence. I wouldn't loathe coming into work every day because my work would be my art. That is a that's a fantastic way to look at it because you know a lot of people dread going into work every day. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just kind of a, you know kind of an accepted part of life. But um, kind of take us back to your first tournament that you went to. Uh, what was that? What was it like in the arena? You know, what was the field? Was there, you know, what was your mindset walking in to your first either either amateur or professional jujitsu tournament? What was it like for you? I was kind of nervous because I had never been in a like a real deal physical altercation, no no practice live against a trained martial artist. Well, no, correction, I did karate. I did sparring and karate, and I did tournaments. But jiu-jitsu is a totally different level of physicality. So I was nervous. I had the jitters. And some. I was a little bit sluggish when I was out there. Um, but over the course of the day, the more matches that I got, I became more comfortable, and I became more aggressive. I kind of was able to take the governor off of the car and just go full speed. And over the course of my career, I had to learn to slow it down. But, you know, at first I was a little timid, but, you know, after you get that first hit in or after you get that first lockup, you're off to the races. I can imagine. And and the thing is, um, I'm in no way, shape or form going to compare our professions, but, I do train every year for hand-to-hand combat and situations like that for my job. And it's really hard to kind of go full speed and put them in the holds and the, the, the go hand-to-hand and, and, and full body attack when it's somebody you work with. Now, to kind of correlate that to you, it's got to be a little bit of a difficult situation going into your first tournament where you're not going against guys in your gym, even though you get, you're in there fighting for your life. Like you said earlier, mm-hmm. that you still are training with these people. That's your family. That's people that you've been growing up with 
day after day, week after week, year after year, and then you're in a in a full blown competition. So I'm sure that it was a little bit of an adjustment period. Like these guys don't give a shit about you. They're just trying to win. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, they're trying to take you out. They want the gold medal. Yes. So. Did you have to do a lot of traveling to go to these tournaments? Was this like a, did you have to like travel out of the country or was this more of a continental United States kind of deal for you at the beginning? When I first started, it was very regional. My first tournament was in Wildwood, New Jersey, the Wildwood Convention Center, Naga Battle of the Beach. Uh, and I would go New York, New Jersey, Virginia the mid-Atlantic area, sometimes Florida. Once I got to the blue belt, and i that's when I started competing internationally and uh, very seriously internationally. While I was in college, as a full-time wow. college student, I was competing in jiu-jitsu, and I was traveling all throughout the continental United States a bunch of times in California, uh, Florida, Texas, uh, you know, up down the East Coast, and I, we'd go to Canada. I've been to Finland, the United Arab Emirates, um, Costa Rica to teach, Brazil, a bunch of times in Brazil, Europe, all through Europe, you know, Korea, trying to go to Japan, maybe not for jiu-jitsu, but, you know, as far as jiu-jitsu, it's taken me a lot of places. So at all the places that you named, you know, I'm not going to ask you to like recollect like the exact match. I mean, you can, if you want, mm -hmm. uh, what was your toughest international tournament that you part, you participated in over the, over the years of your uh, pro Brazilian jiu-jitsu career? What country kind of gave you the most problems? Mm. The weird part about jiu-jitsu is that you go to different countries and still compete against the same people. I wow, like okay. it into tennis. Um, internationally speaking, probably the toughest place to compete is Brazil because the that's where Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu comes from. Mm -hmm. You have to travel there. You have to get it. At the time, you had to get a visa. You go into a country that has a different language, different customs. You know, amenities aren't going to be the same. You're spending a lot of money, and they do not like Americans coming in there and beating them at their sport. They hate gringos. They say they do. I kind of not sure if they do. They, they liked us because we fought our style that we fought was, uh, they liked, but I'd say Brazil, this is the level of competition. And then when you go there, you have to be ready. There's no gimmies. You got a bunch of kids that are from the hood there that all they do is train jujitsu. It's like their basketball. Okay. So, um, kind of elaborate on why like what was some of the stigmas and some of the stereotypes that you faced as an American over in Brazil uh, when you say that they didn't like you guys what was what was some of the things that they complained about that would give us that type of situation or stereotype I don't really think they stereotyped this as much as they just didn't like foreigners coming in there and beating them at jiu-jitsu okay. it's just it's 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 patriotic to them it's just like if ah what what sport could we say like it basketball if for some reason there was some country that could beat us like if china all of a sudden had a super team and we're in the olympic finals like they're gonna boo you but they take it to a whole nother level where they just are just 
there's heart on you. And all the referees are Brazilian, which is another facet of it. And they don't want, they're going to give you, they're not going to give you any opportunities there. You have to win, either tap the person out or beat them on points so soundly that there's no way that they could possibly screw you over. That's all. They just, they don't like Americans coming over into Brazil and trying to beat them in their sport. They're just very nationalistic and patriotic. That's all. That's understandable. I mean, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a good explanation to it. Uh, when you started traveling internationally and facing the competition, did it kind of give you like a steep learning curve coming back stateside and competing in the regional areas again? Was it after you went international and you came back home? Was it like, oh, wow, this is nowhere near as difficult as I went through. I mean, I know you said that there's the same, they're competing against the same guys, a lot of places, but mm-hmm. obviously everybody's not going to travel internationally to every single tournament. Yeah. The training that we put in at crazy 88 and team Lord Irvin prepared me for all the events, but the experience of, Traveling internationally, like already traveling internationally is stressful. Now imagine if you're cutting weight or trying to keep your weight down and you know that a competition that you be training very hard for, that you put your heart and soul into, that you invested a lot of money into is right around the corner. And oftentimes you're not going to have the best amenities. You're not going to be able to warm up as best as you can because sometimes the schedule is off and it's disorganized at these events. That experience, having to deal with all these extenuating circumstances that are working against you and still finding a way to win over and over again is going to prepare you for almost anything. And to be world-class, this is what you have to go through. So after traveling internationally and competing against top guys in tough conditions, when I came back and fought at regionals, it just wasn't even fair. They weren't even ready for it. Like I had been to the mountaintop. I've seen it all. It's like I am accelerated. Like you watch Dragon Ball Z? I am not going to sit Okay. So I'm there's this gonna, thing where I'm they not train. not going to front for the interview. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> so these guys, they train in a hyperbaric time tra- chamber. And a day for them is like, they, uh, three days for them is like a day for us. So basically, we got 1%. We accelerated our learning curve, and it just was an unfair advantage. Wow. That's, I yeah. mean, when you put it like that, that's crazy, you know, to where mm-hmm. you, you pretty much, you know, went to go, you know, to these tournaments, iron, iron sharpens iron, and then you're coming back, and it's like, okay. Did it, did it ever discourage you in your climb to the top after – going international and then coming back, did it ever discourage you when you felt like it was almost a a cakewalk? No, it didn't. That just became the new standard. It just became the new standard and it showed me where I was at, what the hard work can be. And I wanted to see how far I could take it in a way. It motivated me to go harder. That that's understandable. Uh, I can, I, you know, that that's, completely understandable because at the end of the day, you want to be the best at what you're doing and you've been honing your craft for years at that point. Um, okay. So 2014, you did get your black belt. Um, Mm -hmm. what was that like for you to finally earn your black belt after eight years in the game? I felt relieved that I finally got it, 
I, that was a big goal of mine to get my black belt because a lot of martial arts, black belts are given away willy nilly in jujitsu. And at my jujitsu gym, it means something to get your black belt from Timor Durbin. The, the lineage that I have goes back to the Gracie family. And it goes further than that. It goes to, you know, the founder of jujitsu. And it goes back even further to those judokas back in Japan. So with me doing that, it certified that I was a martial artist at the highest regard. And it gave me an opportunity to fight at the highest ranks of a sport that I had dedicated the last eight years of my life to at the time. Wow. So do you put earning your black belt up there with uh, your accomplishment of being one of the, or at the top, at the time, the, the top grappler in the world? Do you equate those two? Because they go hand in hand. I think getting the black belt was more important as wow. far as my life. Yeah. Because I won the competition, yes. I got paid very well, yes. But being a black belt is more than just being able to beat people up. It means that you're consistent. It means that you're reliable. You go to a certain gym, it means that you're a good person, not just a good martial artist. It represents a lot of dedication and the fact that I got my black belt from the people that gave me my blue purple and brown belt means that I have a family as much as you can be with people that you're not blood related to, but it meant the world to me because I remember what it was like when I first started. And no matter what happens, this is the one thing that I earned and no one can take away from me. That makes sense because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, nobody saw the work you put in to get to the black belt as mm -hmm. opposed to going to these competitions mm -hmm. and going to the ranks, you know, the ranked competitions where you were crowned the number one grappler in the world. Yes. Um, okay. I know you mentioned the, the money and the, and the, and the respect and all that, but uh, did you have to face any uh, grapplers that went on to be mixed martial arts fighters in any of the popular promotions? during that stretch uh yeah but i kind of forgot their names no there's this guy uh gilbert burns Dorino. he's fought for the ufc title he got his black belt way before me i had a match with him when i was a blue belt fresh out of high school it's about 18 19 years old no i was 18 and he had just won the world's at black belt and i had a match with him and he ended up beating me and to this day he's probably top three strongest person that I've ever had a match with. Wow. Top three. I, I was still a young man. I was still a boy, but <laughs> he's still one of the strongest people. And the fact that he's still competing in the UFC and he's still knocking people out is testament to just how strong he is. Pound for pound. It's, even if I've faced guys that were way heavier than him that weren't as strong as him. So, that, Gilbert that, Burns. That, that, is a, that is a testament to the man's uh, overall strength and competitive nature. Yes. While, we're on, while we're on the topic of uh, 
mixed martial arts cage fighting. I know that we mm -hmm. talked a little bit off, off camera about it. Um, when a lot of guys and girls, you know, when they have their black belt in a certain mixed martial art, whether it's judo or Muay Thai or Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, uh, it's like in order for them to make money and the next logical step is to step into the octagon. Um, why did you never take that route? If you don't mind me asking. I never did MMA because while I was going up the ranks in jiu-jitsu, when I was training full-time and working at the gym, I just was so into jiu-jitsu. That was my primary focus because I knew that in order to be a jiu-jitsu world champion, you couldn't dabble. You couldn't split the time trying to be a pro MMA fighter and being a pro jiu-jitsu fighter. It would have been, it would have, it would have been detrimental to my cause. And I just wanted to get my black belt and be a black belt world champion, which I became, but you know, twist and turns, what have you. Also, when you want to fight and be an MMA fighter, you have to be a hundred percent into that because the risk is too high. And by the time that I had won enough at jujitsu and I got that out of my system, I could still probably make a run in MMA, but I just think financially it's not really worth it. You know, you're going to put all that training in, you're going to suffer physically and emotionally and mentally and socially because you're sacrificing a lot of time from your family. You're getting a beating. They're not paying MMA fighters enough to take that damage. I put my body through hell in jujitsu, almost dying before from training incidents, being laid up, you know, not being able to walk at times, being in pain. And I was not trying to do that again by going through the ranks of mixed martial arts. No matter how much of a fast track I'd get from my wrestling, I'm sorry, my jujitsu pedigree. That's understandable, you know, because like you said, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of sacrifice. And, yes. you know, I've had, I've had the, the, the fortunate pleasure of interviewing a couple of mixed martial artists and mm -hmm. just them describing their, uh, their travel schedule, their training schedule. You know, it's not like they get holidays and weekends off. You know, weekends are when they fight and holidays are when they yes. get their money for fighting on a, a, a Thanksgiving weekend or a, a New Year's Eve weekend, you know. And that's just a lot to sacrifice. And I, I can understand your sacrifice. But um, now you are with Maryland Championship Wrestling. Absolutely. Yes. And I am a huge wrestling fan. And so is my brother and, and my best friend, Josh. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we are diehard wrestling fans. And that is... Everybody gives it a, a everybody you know knocks wrestling for being fake and and the thing is it's not fake it's just predetermined and for for people that are smart to it um, what was it like for you to go from training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for all those years and wrestling training is a completely different thing because you th there's a, an added charisma you know mic work you have to you know take acting classes if you want to have a gimmick and then there's the ropes everybody thinks those ropes and that mat is soft that's literally canvas with plywood underneath of it and there's nothing soft about it the, the ropes are similar to electric cables 
you know, so what was, what's that training like for you now? Putting yourself through hell for the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu wrestling can't be, you know, a, a walk in the park for you at this point. I'm going to be honest. It's been a cakewalk. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Wow. Okay. Yes. I took, I took, I took to it like a fish to water. I went to MCW training center. I went through the whole training center in less than a year. I made my debut in March. I'm already the rookie of the year in professional wrestling. I've watched wrestling when I was a child. When I was older, I stopped because I was all in on jujitsu. A few years ago, I started watching again. And I made a promise to myself when it's my time to shine, I'm just going to make that transition over to wrestling. And then I started training of April of last year. And I was training wrestling a lot. And I just, I just have a knack for it. It's pretty easy to me. I work hard, but it's pretty easy to me. These guys don't really stand a chance because when I go and I go to these wrestling shows and when I go through the ranks, I just see that, man, I'm only March, April, May, June, July, five months in the business. And I already know that I'm going to be at the top. Just need to get more and more opportunities. You know, it's it's no different than anything I did jujitsu. If anything, um, jujitsu prepared me for it. This has been a nice transition for me. The financial windfall is the biggest in all the combat sports because there's a reason why Ronda Rousey, all these guys from American Top Team want to be on these shows because the bag is bigger and it is a proven pipeline to Hollywood, which I have goals in that too. I've already been in a movie and a TV show within the last three months. Oh, four oh, I mean, months. Are you do, allowed to dive, do wrestling? Are you allowed to divulge I, anything yet? Uh, just that the movie The Realtor is coming out very soon, and this show called Hush is going to be out on TV really soon. That's all I can really say. But Rob, mine go pressure. You know, yeah, but as far as wrestling is concerned, you know. In three years, I'm going to be the top guy. World renowned recognizes the top guy. Three years, for sure. Hey, All right, rookie of the year. Hey, <laughs> I mean, you're following some great MCW footsteps. Uh, mm-hmm. Just off the top, Leo Rush, um, Patrick Clark, who went mm-hmm. on to be Velveteen Dream in the WWE for a while. Um, Mickey James. Mickey Lita. James is there. Lita. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just interviewed a couple months ago uh, King McBride. You know, he's a, a local legend in MCW. Have you had a chance to work with him yet? I have not wrestled him yet, no, but I would love to. I want to take on all the guys that are considered legends at MCW um, just because I feel as though I know that I'm taking over the company. I'm the future, and some would argue the present. And the ability to inter- interlock with these guys, wrestle them, I'm all for it. He's you very well-respected. He definitely is. You got your eyes on the Shamrock Cup this year? Absolutely. I have my eyes on the Shamrock Cup. I am, you know, I'm kind of disappointed that I have not gotten my invite yet, um, but I will be in attendance, and I plan on making it my my voice, my voice heard at the Shamrock Cup one way or another. So you you mentioned that a couple years ago you you fell back into it. Um, 
what was the show that caught your attention and really kind of made you immerse yourself back into the, the world of pro wrestling? I wouldn't say it was a show that brought me back in. It was a random article on vice.com vice magazine used to be a lot more big now uh, then than it was, than it is now. And I was randomly scrolling through the site. I used to read that site all the time. I saw this article about New Japan Pro Wrestling, and I just clicked on it because it looked interesting. And then I saw clips of Shinsuke Nakamura karate kicking people in the face, AJ Styles flying in the air. And I remembered AJ Styles from when I was a kid. And I was like, man, these guys are actually doing like real martial arts stuff. And ironically, I was on my way to a uh, martial arts tournament, jujitsu tournament, a really big one on pay-per-view. I ended up winning. Um, but I just started watching again. I was like, oh, wow, this stuff is pretty cool. And I found out how much these guys are getting paid. And I realized, well, financially speaking, it makes more sense that if I'm going to dish out beatings and take beatings, I want to get paid. And that's when I started getting really into the business. I started researching in and voila, here I am, rookie of the year. That's incredible, man, because um, quite like you, not the same circumstances. I followed wrestling until I hit Mount St. Joe. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was 2003. You came in right behind me in 2004. You know, when, when we, when we get around new guys that we want to be friends with and we want to kind of mesh with, especially I played football, you know, I was talking to one of the guys about wrestling and he was into it too. And all of a sudden a couple of guys overheard me talking about it and like, Oh, you still watch that fake shit. And that's like <laughs> the equivalent of being a nerd. And I was like, God damn it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I stopped watching it like cold Turkey. I just gave it all up. And, uh, I found it again, 12 years later, I was watching the TV channel E and, uh, I'm watching this show and it's a whole bunch of good looking female women or female wrestlers on there. I'm like, who are all these people? Like they're good looking. <laughs> and they, it was total divas. I was yeah. like, I'm, I'm going to turn on raw. I turn on raw the next night. I'm sitting there with my wife, and I recognized nobody. No Triple H, no Undertaker, no Kane, no Shawn Michaels, no Stone Cold Mm -hmm. Steve Austin. I saw this dude, John Cena, who was, like, wearing neon colors, and I'm like, what is going on here? And then I saw a couple of guys wrestle. I'm like, I'm going to keep on watching it. Before I knew it, I had the network. I was back into it again. And watching New Japan helped me get back into it, like, heavy because, like you said, Shinsuke – Okada, Kenny Omega, um, Naito, all those guys were just like incredible. And they made it look more combat and less choreographed if you follow what I'm, you know, putting down, you know, because there's a, there's a certain element, you know, WWE is a very safe company in terms of their performers. You know, I, I'm not going to ask you to expose the business in any way, shape or form, but you know how to, take a punch, sell, throw a punch, and all that. Some guys look so choreographed and they look like they practice it before getting on TV so much that it just almost looked too choreographed. And New Japan was just pure aggression. And I just fell back in love with the sport again. 
And I'm, 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 that's fantastic that you kind of found it again, the same way that I did just under different circumstances. I mean, you know, when I go out there, it's not choreographed at all. I just beat the guys up. I mean, there's not, there's nothing besides maybe Brock Lesnar who's been submitted before. I mean, I don't really see anyone being challenged for me out there. So I just go out there and just do whatever I want. <laughs> hey, and I'm sure, and, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, it's a, it, it's kind of like a, a a dance session. You know, you you got to know your partner. You got to know, and you got to feed off the energy of the crowd. You got to think about on the fly. It, it's a lot of on the fly decision making from the guys that I've talked to. And I know uh, that you said the training was a breeze. What was it like the first time you hit the mat? taking a bump uh it was no different than when i was training with judo olympians like uh nyamkar from uh mongolia or nick del Popolo. i i'm used to falling down so whenever i fall in the rest of the mat it's when i tell you it's like a fish to water it was really a fish to water that's truly just it no it's just boop boop Hit the mats, nothing. Other what? people, they fall apart. That's when people want to quit the first time they hit the floor. In jujitsu, judo, wrestling, once they hit that mat, most people quit. But to me, I loved it. What was the toughest transition going from Brazilian jiu-jitsu to professional wrestling? What was your I, – I know you said fish out of water, cake, mm-hmm. walk, all that type of stuff. What was, the, what was like, your, your biggest obstacle in terms of transitioning into – pro wrestling training just being new just learning different aspects of the sport um there's a lot of differences so i think just being new um just learning different techniques uh learning the customs because it's a different world in wrestling it's a lot of different customs it's like joining another secret society um so dealing with that aspect of it, dealing with the politics, there's politics in every sport, just different politics as well. That would have to be the toughest thing. Fair enough. Um, I know that you said that you, you know, when you immersed yourself into the world of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you, you shut off your fandom of wrestling. Has that been a disadvantage to you or has it been more of an advantageous aspect of your, of your training to where, you weren't like a diehard fan and you're trying to model yourself after anybody or has that been a hindrance to you in the company or in your training? Well, since I stopped being a diehard fan, since I came in here from a different world, it's like I have no rules. It's like a blank canvas. And that changes and has made it great for me. Um, It's like... Everyone else is drawing stick figures, and I'm Pablo Picasso. So when I go out Fair there, enough. it's just the, it's just it's the first time if every anyone's seeing some of the things that I, I blow people's minds. Um, when I go out there and I show my skills, and I'm going against guys that are professional wrestlers, it's mind blowing for my opponents in a negative way, and mind blowing for the fans in a positive way. To date, who has been your favorite uh, wrestler to face in the ring in all the shows that you've done? Mm. Well, I can tell you who I had the most fun with. Okay, who'd you uh, have the most fun with? 
uh, Angel Alvarado of the cartel. Well, now they're the Lost Boys. But I had a lot of fun with him. I came out there like I always do with Team Spriggs and the Champagne Campaign. And I always have my glass of champagne. Appreciate it. Um, So I go out there, have my champagne, and I set the record for the fastest submission victor in the history of professional wrestling with a flying guillotine, which is one of my specialties. There's a whole highlight of me hitting flying guillotines online. I watched Uh, it. I, mm-hmm. I watched it earlier today. <laughs> I was at work and I was like, oh, you know, I was on my way home from work. I was like, let me, let me go ahead and look this up. And, mm-hmm. you know, there, there was, and you get some air on that, on that, on that, on that move, man. That was crazy how you just oh, flew yes. across the ring. That was good stuff yeah. right there. I, I enjoyed that. And, uh, I got to say, man, you, you got the charisma for it and, and mm-hmm. you, the demeanor and all that. Um, what was I know this is kind of like some you know like it might be silly to some folks, but what was it like for you having to pick out like your theme music? I know that you you seem like you're meticulous in everything you do. So what was like finding your gimmick and your music like for you? What was that thought process? I, I don't have any gimmicks, uh, Matt. You know, I I look at it like when I'm out here, I'm the real me. I don't wear a mask. Okay. I don't I don't dress up weird. Uh, you know, I don't wear face paint. I don't have to pretend to be somebody I'm not. What you see out there, the Mushmaster, is me. So I didn't really have to take up a lot of time like other guys do and pretend to be something they're not. You know, this is the raw deal. What you see out there, real. Everything I say is real. This is from the heart. Um, so that aspect of it, easy. As far as theme music, I needed to find something that represented who I am, who Tim Spriggs is. And so I hit up my boy, Blake. We got my own official theme music, the the highlight. That's me. You know, it's about me. Um, I had influence. I had input on the, on the lyrics, on the creative direction. You know, maybe when I'm done with wrestling in Hollywood, I could go into the music business because I executive produced my own music. It's the best theme music actively in the business right now so you know the highlight by me executive produced by me it was it's quite simple when you have good guys in your corner if you know the right people you know that kind of stuff is kind of easy as well that's that's important man and Mm -hmm. you seem like you seem you seem like you've got an idea on where you want to go with that um yes i know now i know mcw has connections to ring of honor or they had mm. the old the old ring of honor now i don't know if there's still a connection there uh do you see yourself being in aew or wwe or even new japan do you ever see yourself kind of hitting those heights before parlaying yourself into the to the hollywood industry is that is that on your radar i'm looking for the biggest bag i'm looking for Biggest amount of money. So whoever decides to make the smartest decision ever by signing me, whether it's AEW, New Japan, or WWE, that's who I'm going to. In the meantime, in between time, I'm attacking professional wrestling's independent scene, which is basically everywhere outside of WWE, um, hard as I can. So I'm traveling up and down the East Coast, nationally, 
internationally. My goal is to compete everywhere, take on the toughest wrestlers there are, beat them, get paid handsomely. And I'm going to be the number one guy in the world. I'm going to be on the cover of all the magazines. I'm going to be the guy with the best matches every single show. And I'm making it to the top. And in doing so, I want to take on the stiffest competition because when I make it to the top, I don't want to hear any excuses as far as I didn't take on the best of the best. That's fair enough. And it's refreshing because when you talk to or when you listen to interviews with independent wrestlers, they always say like the goal is WWE and, or the goal is AEW now, or it's mm-hmm. new Japan. The mm-hmm. fact that you're taking a business like approach to it, a, a lot of people are, are marks for the business. And I know you've heard that term thrown around in your, in your time in MCW. Um, but it's smart. You, because you're, you know that everything is a limited window and you want to maximize your earning and your potential and your exposure. So it's a refreshingly honest approach to the business and it might not be met with, you know, company wide acceptance, wherever you go, but I can tell that's not really your deal. Anyway, you're looking to secure your future in every step of the way. So that's, that's, that's a, a, a incredibly refreshing answer to that question. And I honestly appreciate the honesty. Absolutely, man. Like we all sacrifice time and energy in our careers. Everyone has different sacrifices they have to make, but in wrestling it's extremely dangerous. So if I'm going to sacrifice my body, my time away from my family, my youth, I can't just have fun every single weekend. I'm wrestling or I'm training to wrestle. If I'm going to do that, I'm going to get paid handsomely because I have goals just like you have goals. So I want the nicer things for myself and my family. So I'm going to grind and I'm going to get paid. I don't care who signs the checks. I just want the checks. That is admirable. And that's, you know, we're in our thirties, man. So limited time to, maximize you know the 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 youth and to you know me being a wrestling fan it seems like more and more that the older guys are sticking around longer because they keep themselves in that good of shape so you know years ago mid-30s was like oh you're heading towards retirement and wrestling and now it's the mid early to mid-30s is your prime Mm -hmm. so you're hitting your stride in your prime you know yes right now and you, and you know, who knows where, you know, where it can lead you in 10 to 15 years, but you're, you're, you're dabbling in everything now, man. And it seems like you're really enjoying the process because just from the way you've described it, Brazilian jiu-jitsu has been a demanding, all absorbing presence in your life. And now that you not necessarily let it go, but it's not the main focal point of your life anymore. Now it feels like you can kind of, dip your toes into the wrestling world or to the acting or to the music or to the mm-hmm. entrepreneurship. Do you feel more free now that you're not competing year round for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu? Absolutely. I wanted to stop competing back in 2020. 2020 was going to be my final year of competition. COVID happened. I was locked down for over a year. 
It put things into perspective, and I found out what I enjoyed to do, what my new goals were, and what the life I wanted to have would be. And that's what I'm doing now. That's that's incredible, Tim. You know, just the fact that you have made it this far and you're and you're catching on at lightning speed. Um, not the kind of you know mall back to the Mount Saint Joe days. And uh, I I do want to bring up a couple things about that. You know, I'm not going to sit here and lie to my audience and lie to you and say that we knew each other in high school. We went to the same school at when we went there. It was 1,300 kids, you know, so it was a lot of kids and I was a year ahead of you. So, Mm -hmm. and like, like you said, you were doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu your last three years of high school. I'm playing Mm -hmm. football. I'm getting drunk. I'm going to parties. I was living the college lifestyle in high school and I paid the price for that. And, uh, did you, when you were at Mount St. Joe, um, we know the dynamic of, Mm -hmm. of, the uh, cultural diversity or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of different politics there. There was a lot of different, you know, subgroups and all that type of uh, stuff going on. Do you have a fonder appreciation now for Mount St. Joe and what it prepared you for, as opposed to when you were actively going there? I think that the situations that I was in definitely prepared me as far as looking back at it fondly. No, not so fondly disappointed. No, it is what it is. I appreciate that I had to go through those times because it made me a stronger person. It gave me a stronger sense of self. It helped me realize that, you know, as a person, I do have my head on pretty straight and that I'm able to make these decisions for myself no matter who's around me. You get what I'm saying? Um, It made me secure in who I was. Despite all the nonsense that was going around, it made me realize that, you know, it's possible to maintain your character and be your authentic self no matter the circumstances. It resulted in me not having a huge friend group, but, you know, it made me mature a lot earlier. So when I went to college, I was kind of prepared for adult things, you know, and even still now, I the lessons that I learned from going to that school ring true. And if I didn't learn them at the time, I don't think I'd make it this far in the things that I like. I agree with you, man, because I, you know, I do ask a lot of guys that I went to, that we went to school with, uh, what the impact that they had was not necessarily on the show, just kind of talking to them, mm-hmm. just, you know, catching up and just talking about life. I I did not enjoy my time there a whole lot. I was constantly in trouble. And that was my own fault. I was I was not making the best choices. Um, some of the school coaches that I had, I mean, some of the, the, the football coaches I had, they talked to us like absolute dirt. And, and I'm thinking back to 2004, 2005. Now, today what they said wouldn't be acceptable at all. But it prepared me for my life because I've been working in prison the last 12 years of my life. And when I get chewed out by supervisors or I have inmates say random shit to me, it's like they aren't saying anything that I didn't hear when I was 14 years old on the on the beach field, uh, elementary school football field, having practice every day, you know. But 
I appreciate what they put me through as a man in my mid thirties, as a father, as a husband, as a, a professional in a, in a dangerous work environment. It prepared me for a lot that I never knew I was going to be prepared for. And that, and it kind of rings true that a lot of the teachers that we thought were dicks were dicks for a reason. And the situations that we were in, we were in for a reason. So I, I can relate to what you were saying, how it still rings true in your thirties when we've graduated. Now I'm coming up on 15 years. You're coming up on 14 years ago. Yeah. yeah. So to kind of be on the lighter side of that, Mm-hmm. You're you were now the next name in a long line of professional athletes to come out of the school, mm-hmm. and does it give you any sense of pride that you were able to be on that list? Because it's not it's an exclusive list because there's not many, but there's a good number. You know, it's not like yeah. half of every class was a was a superstar. You know, mm-hmm. you're joining the likes of Mark Teixeira, Gavin, and Brendan Floyd. Kyle Fuller, who you, uh, I think you graduated a year or two ahead of Kyle. Mm-hmm. Um, he's on the Ravens now. Um, Mac Lunas, we talked about Mac off off air. You know, he's he was an all world wrestler. What is it? Does it, does it? You know, is it a nice little badge to wear on the chest, knowing that you came out of Mount St. Joe, and now you're? I know that you didn't necessarily didn't partake in a lot at the school, but mm-hmm. you're now an alumni that's in the bright light, so to speak. Uh, I just think it's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm be honest, like, uh, considering like uh, my freshman year of football and other sports I dabbled in and how that went down, like, that's a totally different story. You know, that's a story for another time. But uh, Absolutely. considering all that crap I had to go through and then considering that, you know, jujitsu kind of became a thing, and now you're considering me one of those guys. I have to laugh because I would have never expected that, man. <laughs> Especially right. when I first went in there, you're putting me out there with Mark Desher, like he won the World Series with the Yankees. Like I had to laugh, man. It's cool, man. It's all it's awesome, man. <laughs> it's pretty you know, crazy how life goes. And I'm only 30, 31 years old. <laughs> and and here's the crazy what's the crazier thing is that I know like any high school would when they're proud of their alumni that uh athletic hall of fame is going to be coming calling to your uh to your doorstep <laughs> one day and it's going to be crazy to know that you didn't partake in anything at the school but they're going to want to put you in the hall of fame because <laughs> they're going to hypothetically speaking you make it to AEW or WWE you're going to have the president of the school at your you know sending you something or calling you is that going to be like – that's going to be a surreal moment? Because I'm, I'm speaking in existence because it's not happening, man. <laughs> when it does happen, I'm going to bring the title belt to the presentation, <laughs> number one. And I'm uh, going to show two, up. I'll pro- I will just be so – much. it will be bizarre. It's a, a great bizarre feeling because there's a negative, but it's a very positive bizarre feeling that I will definitely cherish and record the entire process. <laughs> oh, that's going to be wild, man. I know I'm just, you know, it with a little bit of facetiousness, it's there's truth to it because we both know the, 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 the angle of the school, uh, good publicity, you know, yeah. pr- pride in alumni. So before I let you go, man, one last yes. question about St. Joe, and then I'm going to let you hype up all your socials. Okay. 
Who was your favorite teacher? I liked Miss Esserwine. Really? Music teacher. Yes. She was in charge of the choir. You she was awesome. I was <laughs> she was uh I was in choir, you know, that was one of my extracurriculars, you know. Um, you know, I was doing plays too, so that was my other thing too. I was in the theater. So it's crazy how you know you mix up how wrestling is. But uh hey. yeah, she was my favorite. She was really cool. Um, she was awesome, man. Like, you know, they talk about the teachers that make it kind of like a home at Mount St. Joe's. She was one of those people. And she was very welcoming and it felt it was a nice environment to foster young people to feel comfortable. And sometimes a very uncomfortable situation just dealing with like it's a high school, all boys, high standard, all that testosterone. And, you know, Miss Esterwine made it very livable for a lot of us. That's awesome, man. My favorite teacher was Mr. Sargo. He taught yes, uh, yeah. he taught social studies and he taught psychology. He also brought rugby to the school and I participated in rugby until I got uh suspended. <laughs> mm. uh, but you know that was that was my favorite teacher uh special shout out to mr i don't know if you remember mr demario yeah uh, the religion teacher man he was odd and he used to write with both hands and he'd start a sentence on each end and he would make them meet like that dude was just so eccentric but he was a genius and he just he intrigued me and then one day he just left school and never came back i was like where the hell did this guy go because like I thought he loved torturing us. He called us like lemmings or some shit. Ah, uh, yeah, he just disappeared. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Tim, thank you so much, man, for this interview. It's been great, you know, chopping it up with you, and uh, I can't wait to see your elevation even farther into MCW. I hope to see you hold the heavyweight championship before you move on to greener pastures. Um. Before I let you go, man, where can everybody find you on social media? You can find me at Tim Spriggs BJJ on Instagram or Facebook. You can also find me on Twitter at Mushmaster Wins. Also, I host the best Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and submission grappling podcast in the history of the world, the BJJ Goons Podcast. It is on YouTube or your favorite streaming platform. We're talking iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And before I go, if you're interested in learning jiu-jitsu, make sure you go to timspriggsbjj.com. I teach private lessons both in person and virtually. I can critique your matches if you already do jiu-jitsu. And if you're just starting out, I can even create your game plan for you. All this is at timspriggsbjj.com. There you have it, folks. Tim going uh Hang around for one minute, but I'm going to wrap this up, folks. Make sure you share. Make sure you comment. Make sure you like. Get the word out there. Mount St. Joe alumni. Tim, it's great having you, man. Thanks for having me, man.